chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 14 is where our text will be found this morning. And our text really, we're going to try to treat a subject out of the entire chapter. So, um, I'm going to take the time to read all 28 verses. So Acts, if you have to sit down before I'm finished, I understand, that's fine. Um, Mom's had foot surgery and some of you have babies and some of you are carrying babies and carrying four babies and that kind of thing, so that's fine. But Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, that is, both Paul and Barnabas. And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. How would you like to so speak that people believe? Isn't that interesting? They so spake that a multitude believed. We just, we just sang that hymn about having met to worship. And we were, we were singing about praying with all of our power while we try to preach the word. That's how a person so speaks. It's in that way. Not necessarily because Paul was an eloquent man. I mean, we even read in Scripture that his, his letters were weighty. You know, they were something to be read, but then when he got in the midst of the congregation, they, he must have been a small man, perhaps, and uh, you know, he just wasn't much to look at. And so his appearance you know, wasn't much to some people, but uh, it's, not, it's not by that. That's not how they so spake wasn't because of eloquent words. But the unbelieving Jews, in verse number 2, stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected, or they poisoned their minds against the brethren, against Paul and Barnabas, against those who had believed. So what do they do? Verse number 3 says, A long time, therefore, they stayed. They abode. Abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part held with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were made aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are of men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth, and sea, and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, 
He left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, from places that they had been before and preached the gospel and people had gotten stirred up. And they persuaded the people to stone Paul. And having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went to Atelia, and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Maybe see. So through much tribulation, Paul says, we must enter into the kingdom of heaven. Tribulations also translated trouble, affliction, anguish. That word anguish there carries the meaning of labor pains. Teresa will find that again not too many months from now. Uh, somewhat and burdened but it literally means pressure that's what it means pressure through much we could say trouble through much affliction through much anguish anguish through much burdens through much pressure we will enter into the kingdom of heaven much pressure is going to be placed upon us Paul said in one place that they were pressed on every side. I mean, everywhere they turned, there was pressure coming from every side. And when you read here, we, we, we saw this morning how the, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they all came, there was pressure. They stoned Paul. This man's preaching a false gospel. This is not something that, that we receive. You people don't need to be deceived by this. You need to get your rulers together. You need to get the people together and get rid of these guys. They, they're going to deceive the inhabitants of the city. A preacher once said that unless we feel the pressure of the ministry, we're not getting anything done. We need to be able to find, to feel the pressure. And not just for a minister, but we all need to be able to feel the pressure. And I think we all do feel pressure at times, in different ways. I mean, the devil comes at us from every angle that he can. He'll use our family. He'll, he'll, he'll use the workplace. He'll use all sorts of things. To bring pressure. The Lord even leads us into 
trials and tribulations that we feel the pressure. We feel the weight. We feel the burden. It's good to be burdened. It's good to feel that weight. I'm glad I have a burden for my children. I'm glad I have a burden for my family. I'm glad I have a burden for the people in my workplace. I'm glad I have a burden for people in this community that don't know the Lord. I'm glad I have a burden for some of you that do know the Lord. The situations that you're going through. Tribulations that you have. Trials that you're facing. That I can seek because of my love for you to put myself in your shoes. Try to imagine what you're going through and pray for you after that manner. And because the love that God has shed abroad in my heart, that I can love someone that I don't even know. But I see they need the Lord. That I can love people that I do know that need to know the Lord. We need to feel pressure. Burden's good. It's good for us to face. good for us to have. There'll come a time when we'll no longer have that pressure. The Bible says that these things are momentary light afflictions. They don't feel like it sometimes. Sometimes they feel like pretty heavy burdens. But the Bible calls them momentary light afflictions. I mean, when you compare the short amount of life. I mean, Papa, you're in your 90s now. And we look at him and we think he has lived a long time, and he has. But in comparison to eternity and the afflictions that he's known in his life, in comparison to what we will know as children of God in heaven for an eternity, we can look back at these things and say, yeah, they were momentary light afflictions. We can look at the worst of things that have happened to us, and we can say, that was nothing. Compared to the joy that God has given me, compared to the salvation that is mine in Christ, these things, they're, they're just light things. It's like we were talking about Wednesday night those of you that were able to hear. We're talking about the yoke of the Lord. We're talking about the yoke that the Lord gives us to bear. Now, I don't know how many of you understand what a yoke is. Now, in these days, in biblical times, it was a wooden thing. You know, as we progressed and developed uh, improvements to that sort of thing, it's, you know, it's become, you know, a, a, a harness, kind of a leather thing that was around, you know, in the straps and Harness and all connect to it around the shoulders of that animal, you know, in order for it to pull the load. You know, whether it's the, you know, around Christmas time now, you'll start seeing the, the uh, uh, Clydesdale horses, you know, pulling the Budweiser wagon. You know, and they've got those big fancy collars on them, you know, and they're being pulled. You know, the weight's on their shoulders and they're pulling that load. You know, Papa used to plow this land around here, you know, and he had a plow and that, that animal had a harness and you know, he had the reins. And I've seen, I didn't see him do it, but I've seen on television how you know, they depict the old times, you know, and they have that, the reins around their neck and under their shoulder while they're holding on to the plow handles. It's good for us to feel the pressure and the weight. But what we were talking about Wednesday night was, because of the love that God has given us, because of His Spirit that indwells us, that it's just like the Lord says in His Word, that His yoke, is easy and his burden is light. It's like the illustration that I tried to give you. You know, when I carried Teresa's books to class, they were light. They didn't weigh anything. There could have been ten of them, you know, this thick, but they didn't weigh anything because of the love that I had for her. And because the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts, the yoke 
that the Lord's given us, it's easy, it's light. Because of the grace that He gives us to sustain us. Because of the strength that He gives us that we're renewed with day by day. It's a light thing. I'm sure if Paul could stand before us this morning, he himself would say about this instance right here in Acts chapter 14, him being stoned to the point. And these men, this was, this was out of anger. It wasn't just a judgment. These men hated him. You think they made sure that after they threw those stones that he was dead? As far as they could, I'm sure they thought he was. Drug him out of the city. Left him there. But I'm sure Paul would stand before us this morning and say, Brethren, this was a light thing. This was a light thing just in comparison to what our Lord Himself bore for us upon the cross. It's a light thing in comparison to the joys that there are to be had in heaven. It's a light thing, brethren. What you're going through right now, it may seem difficult, but it's a light thing. Whether you have wayward children, or you, or you have situations that, that got somebody at work maybe that's just a real irritant. They're always causing you problems and always persecuting and ridiculing you because of the Lord that you know and love and serve. Any number of things that we all go through, they're light things. They are light things. When you consider them in the light of the love that God has shown us, the love that we have for Him that He shed abroad in our hearts, that is continually being, it, it's overflowing. And the Spirit's causing it to overflow. He's causing us to cry out, Abba, Father. He's causing us to turn unto the Lord. We're not bearing these things on our own. We're not facing these things without knowing that we can cast our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us. We're not bearing these things without knowing that He's not going to put upon us any more than we can bear. He's going to provide a way of escape. momentary and light. This is what Paul and Barnabas are doing here though. They're feeling the weight and they're feeling the burden. They're feeling the pressure of the ministry. They're feeling the yoke pull as they labor. They're feeling the weight of it as they press on. You hear a lot of people use that, that phrase. They'll tell you, brother, keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Well, that's what we've got to do. It's through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom. We've got to keep pressing on. We've got to keep pulling against, against that harness. The reins of which God Himself has in His own hand. He's directing us. He's leading us where we should go. Through the valleys, upon the mountaintops, into trials and out of tribulations. Paul and Barnabas certainly felt the pressure of the shoulder against the harness as they labored in the field, which the Bible says is white unto harvest. Pray ye the Lord that he'd send laborers. You hear that, you hear that word, laborers? You know, what, what, does that, what does that tell us? There's labor. There's work to be done. There's pressure to be felt. But there are some principles that we see here in the 14th chapter. First thing that we see right there, right off the bat in verse number 1, is that a great number believed. That they so spake that a great number believed. 
We talked about that a little bit with Brother Conrad when he was here. If you didn't get a copy of those messages, we'll, we'll try, to, try to get those to you if you, if you want them. Uh, they were good. Brother Hoshway and Brother Conrad's messages, um, very, very good. But after Brother Conrad preached that first sermon, and he was talking about that venom, which we've all been snake-bitten, and that venom's running through, coursing through our veins, and that we've got to look unto the Lord that we may live just like that serpent that was raised up upon that, on that pole. We look to Him and live. And we're full, those of us who know Him, those of us who believe upon His name, we're full of that vision. We see Him. He is our Savior. He is sufficient. We have found Him whom our souls have longed for. We have found Him whom we had this empty space within. He has filled the void that existed there. We found reconciliation with our Heavenly Father through Him. And that vision that we have of Him, that we seek Christ and we look unto Christ and we continually look unto Him, that He is, he is what we are to, to continually behold as we go throughout this pilgrimage. That we keep our eye upon that light, upon His light. That we'd love for people to be able to see Christ the way we see Him. We'd love for people to be able to have the vision and, and be entranced the way that we are with the vision of Christ. I can't just give that to a person. I can't just say, here, take my faith. You know, I want you to have the same faith that I have. I can tell them about the Lord. I can preach the gospel unto them. But I cannot give them the vision of Christ that I have, that God has given me. I cannot open their eyes the way the Lord has opened mine. I can't open their ears the way the Lord has opened mine. I can't open their heart like Lydia's heart. Paul didn't open Lydia's heart. So he went down there by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made, where the women were praying. And he spoke unto them. He couldn't open our heart. But God did. Through the appointed means, which was Paul preaching the gospel unto her, and through those appointed means, God opened Lydia's heart. We see that he so spake that a great multitude believed. We don't need, no, to learn to speak eloquently. We don't need to learn how to speak in an updated fashion. Or people, you know, we need to use different terms where we can, people will understand. They just, they're not going to understand what the Bible says. We need to use something different. How do we so speak? that people would see what we see. Acts chapter 11 verse 21 says that the hand of the Lord was with them, the apostles when they spoke. This is how we so speak. The hand of the Lord must be with us. The Lord's hand being with us and upon those to whom we are speaking unto. that we depend upon the Spirit of God, that we look unto the Lord, that we know it's not us, not by my own power, not by my own strength. Paul didn't heal that man at Lystra. It wasn't by his own power. The Lord granted, it says, that signs and wonders should be done. He didn't just inadvertently say, well, I'm going to heal that guy. You know? 
think it'd be good for the gospel. It'd be good for our ministry. People really would begin to perk up and listen if we'd heal somebody. Now, that's something that the Lord did. We can seek to speak with much plainness and clearness, and we ought to. Seek to speak with boldness and courage, and we must. And that in and of itself is going to come from the Lord as well. I can sit and prepare and study and think and read and type. But unless the Lord, unless the Lord blesses this morning, you're not going to get anything. You'll hear the words that I say. You'll understand them. They're in English and you can understand the definitions of those things. But for them to be profitable unto you in this sense that we see here, that they so spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed, this is something that the Lord must do. This is a demonstration of the Spirit, of the power of God, of His grace and His mercy. It's the authority behind the Scripture. We speak, but it's God in His Word. It's a living Word. It's God in those words that causes a person when we're speaking to them to say, Wow, you know, I understand what you're saying. I've, I've, never, I've never understood this before. I've, I've heard the words that you're saying, but I've never understood like I understand now. And it's like the words are alive. It's like they jump off the page. It's the authority behind the Word of God. It's our hope. It's, our, it's the faith that we have that, that God will bless His Word, that He will speak unto His people. And it's not just the sound of our voice that people hear. We know Romans 10.17 says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It is as if God says unto a man, Hear. And he hears. Never heard before. Sat in the church pew for 20 years. Never heard before. But God says, hear. God says, I'm going to open your heart this morning. God says, I'm going to give you an ear to hear today. This is why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and unto the Greek also. And why he says in Ephesians 2.8, By grace you're saved through faith. It's through the power of God unto salvation through His Word. It's by His grace that you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And we see this here. All hearing of the gospel does not lead to faith. The gospel message goes forth. Everybody hears. But not everybody believes. It's the same words. That in and of itself proves that it's not the man. It's not the words of a man. It's not how he formulates them and puts them together and the illustrations that he gives. No matter how many illustrations a person gives, a person's not going to receive the gospel unless the Lord opens their heart. So all hearing of the gospel does not lead to faith, but faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. I was reading Spurgeon this week. came across the following it just kind of struck me because what we're looking at here he says since conversion is a divine work we must take care that we depend entirely upon the spirit of God and look to him for power over men's minds I don't have any sway I don't have power over men's minds but God does God does 
he went on to say that we need to truly be more sensible to our need of the Spirit of God in our ministry, in our walk. He says we are instruments in His hand and nothing more. And it's true. And to this end, we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he quoted this verse of Scripture. And this is something that was quoted at the meeting last Lord's Day. He says, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. It's something that he does. That Christ himself does. I will draw men unto myself. What do you do? You preach the word. You minister. You witness. You testify. You live your life before people as I've called you to live. You exalt me in your life. You lift me up. Of course, I, I understand also he's lifted up upon the cross. He was crucified and he has drawn men unto himself in that sense. But also in our lives, if we will exalt Christ, people will see. And if the Lord will open their eyes, they'll desire. They'll have the vision that we have. And we will so speak to them as they've never heard before. That's how we so speak. All in dependence upon the Lord to grant the hearer an ear to hear. Not by our wisdom, not by our power. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 through 5, he says, For I was determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I was with you in weakness. I'm here before you in weakness. I am not able to do anything. If I could save anyone, wouldn't I would do it. If I could save my children, I would save my children. What can I do but preach the gospel unto them? If I could save my co-workers, if I could save family members, if I could save people in this community, I would do so. But I'm, I'm with you in much weakness and in much fear. I fear for people. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Much weakness and fear and in much trembling. He says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. That's what Spurgeon was saying. We depend upon the Spirit to have sway over men's minds of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What if their faith had stood in Paul? He was stoned, murdered, and thrown outside the city gates. Oh, my faith's gone now. What am I going to do? We will only so speak when we speak in like manner, depending upon the Lord. As Paul did. Saying unto people, as Brother Conrad told us, look to the Lord and live. Look unto Him and live. So we see at the very beginning here that a great number believe, but not everyone. Not everyone. Not everyone's going to believe. There are still going to be unbelieving ones. And these are the ones that it says in verse number 2, stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. So when we speak, there are going to be people that receive and there's going to be people that despise. There's going to be people that seek to turn the minds of other people away from the gospel. It's not enough for them just to hear it and say, that's not for me. No, I'm going to evil infect and affect the minds of other people against this thing. Because not only do I not receive it, but I despise it. 
And there's no in-between ground. People either receive or they despise. They stirred up the people, poisoned their thinking. But everyone who hears will brand themselves. You will brand yourselves this morning, everyone, a sheep or a goat. You'll receive or you'll reject. Matthew 12, verse 30 says, He that is not with me is against me. And it's in this sort of way. Despise, against, evil infect. He says, He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Seeking to scatter people. You know, don't listen to this. This is wrong. No in-between ground. But the next thing that we see here is that the suffering that the apostles faced in the ministry of the gospel does not stop the ministry or hinder the ministry but rather encourages it. Verse 3 tells us that after the despisers of the gospel stirred up the people that Paul and Barnabas stayed there a long time. And here they faced opposition. What did they do? They didn't say, well, these people aren't going to receive it. We're going to go somewhere else. No, they stayed there. It says in verse number 3, a long time therefore they abode. That takes grace. To stand in the face of opposition. It wasn't so much the opposition that kept them there. It was the people who had to receive. That's what kept them there. Isn't that encouraging to you when someone receives the word that the Lord's given you to speak? That they're interested? They want to know more? That's encouraging. That was what kept them there, those that had received their testimony. You know, we had a preacher's meeting here some time ago, and there arose a difference in our midst. And I was in the minority. There were some other brothers who felt the same way that I did, some other people that we had counseled with, other pastors, other places we counseled with about it, and they were in agreement with us. But, you know, I had a problem. The thing was happening here. I had to come back you know, every time we would meet. And I had to face that opposition. But there was another brother who stood with me. He told me later on after the, the Lord dissolved that and took care of that situation, he said, I wasn't going to leave you there to face that alone. You know, and this is the sort of heart that we have here with Paul and Barnabas. You know, they stayed there to preach the gospel unto those that would receive, those that did believe, those that wanted to hear and wanted to know, those who needed encouragement. Opposition that comes, comes against a profitable ministry. If you're, if you're being profitable, you're going to find some opposition wherever you're ministering. The gates of hell comes against a profitable ministry. comes against a work that the Lord's doing. The devil will do all in his power to evil effect and poison the minds of some who will not believe. But God tells us that those gates will not prevail. 
We see in verse number 3 that the Lord gave them boldness in the face of the opposition to speak. You see that there? Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. Where did they get their boldness from? At the end of Ephesians, Paul prays. He says, he's in prison. He says, give me boldness that I may speak. Pray for me that I might have boldness. To speak as I ought to speak. You see where my speaking has gotten me. I need boldness. I'm weak. You know, I'll walk out there and start thinking about these people imprisoning me again. Start thinking about these people putting me in jail again. The devil will bring all sorts of thoughts to my mind. Cause me distress and despondency. He was subject to it just like we are. But the Lord gave them grace. Gave them boldness in the face of the opposition to speak and give testimony to the word of His grace, it says. They gave testimony under the word of His grace and He granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. He granted them encouragements. He granted the people that were there proofs. These were His men. It's encouraging to know that if the gates of hell press against us, that God's going to push them back. They're not going to prevail. Greater is He that is in us than he that's in the world. Verse 5 says, They planned to stone Paul and Barnabas. You know, there's a term there that caught my eye. If you look there at verse number 5, it says that they had um, an assault was made of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to, to use them despite, despitefully and to stone them. Another verse of Scripture, of course, comes to mind when you start thinking about being despitefully used. Matthew 5.43 says, You've heard that it has been said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And here's what it goes on and says, And pray for them which despitefully use you. They wanted to despitefully use, it says there, Paul and Barnabas, and stone them and persecute you. He says that you may be the children of your heavenly Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Paul didn't hate them. Paul didn't despise them. Paul prayed for them. Paul loved them. People that wanted to stone him. How does that happen? It's the grace of God. Verse 6 says that they were made aware, the Lord made them aware of the plot to stone them, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia. He had told them before, he said, you're going to be persecuted. You be hated of all men in Matthew 10, 22, for my name's sake. But he that endureth, he who, he who presses on, he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over all the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple, not above his master. We're not above our Lord. They hated him. They despised him. They persecuted him. They even crucified him. And we're not above him. We're not above being treated the same way that he was treated. The disciple's not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. We'll, we'll face some of the same things. Consider how our Lord was treated. Consider how he was used, how he was abused. And then look how you've been treated. 
And I think you'll be able to say, momentary light afflictions. I can look at Paul and I can say, I haven't faced anything like that. You know, I can stand before you and say, brethren, through much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here I am, i got a nice shirt on, tie. You know, got up this morning, you know, was able to, to take a shower and shave and People say, sure, yeah, you're really suffering, aren't you? Yeah. You're really going through a lot. But think about Paul. Bloodied, bruised, beaten, broken. I mean, talk about an object lesson. You know, we preach, preach a funeral service when we've got a casket here. There's an object lesson right there. We talk to people about death and talk to people about hell and talk to people about salvation and talk to people about the Lord. Paul was an object lesson. He stood there before the people all bloodied and bruised and said, Brethren, this is okay. The Lord's hand's in this. The Lord's hand's in this as much as it was in healing that man in Lystra. The man who had never walked before. The Lord's hand as much in this as it was in that. Speaking of that man, he was healed through the preaching of the gospel. It says in verse number 7, And there they preached the gospel. And right after that in verse number 8, it says, There sat a man, a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Through the preaching of the gospel, this man was healed. There's a lot of people that are spiritual cripples all around us. So they're preaching the gospel, these people are going to be healed. Just like Brother Condor was talking about being snake bitten in the garden. And the venom being in us, sin, having looked to the Lord and lived. Now we could use that illustration just like this. We were all spiritual cripples. Every one of us. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been enabled to leap up and even walk. And that's always a remarkable thing to me when I get to these places and I see a man that's never walked. And it's one thing for a man to receive strength in his legs, to be able to get up. But I've seen my kids. I've seen them, you know, they, never having learned to walk before, they just teeter and totter and, and they, they fall down. And you think about a man, an adult man never walked. He's, you know... He's never walked before. How does he know how to walk? The Lord does even this. How in the world are you not going to walk in some of these things? Through the ability the Lord gives. Walk through the fire, through the flood. How are we going to do this? How are we going to press on? But if you're outside of Christ, if you're out of step with God, if you're just like these people who crucified our Lord, then you're like this lame man. You're lame on both your feet. You have no strength, but you need to do what this man did. You need to be found in the place where the gospel is being preached. Be in the way of blessing. This man was healed through the preaching of the gospel. He saw Christ.
he had that vision that we have. He could see Christ for what we see him for. Not someone to be crucified, but someone to be worshipped and adored. Someone to call Savior. Same gospel that's preached. The others looked at Paul and Barnabas and said, It's Jupiter and Mercurius. They've come down. Gods have come down among us in the likeness of flesh. It says they could scarcely restrain the people from worshiping and offering sacrifice unto them. How fickle men are. They look at them as gods, and in the next minute they're stoning them. They esteemed them so highly they were going to worship them and offer sacrifice before them. And then the next minute they're stoning them. The men from Iconium, it says, came to finish the job they had started. They wanted to stone him there, but he escaped, so they came and followed him. Persuaded the people to stone Paul instead of worship him. It's an interesting thing about whether Paul was really killed or not. The Bible doesn't really say that he was stolen and left for dead. It's no stretch for my imagination to believe that if he was dead, God raised him up. You imagine those disciples standing around him, and now what do we do? Oh, they probably didn't say that. But standing around him, probably considering where we're going to bury him. And all of a sudden he stands up. That would have been something. God raised him up. Either way, whether he kept him alive or he raised him from the dead, I don't know. Regardless, the next thing is what I want you to, to notice. The city that he was just stoned in, the people that had just drug him out and left him for dead, he gets up and he goes right back in the city. Now how many of us would be stoned by people and get up and go right back in the city. That's pretty remarkable. In my own strength, there's no way. There's no way. I'm not that strong. They were not deterred from the task that the Lord had set before them to perform. They did not look at the situation as a calamity. They looked at the situation as an opportunity to persuade others of the truth. And Brother Mike's been reading a book. Um, I'm trying to remember the brother's name now. George Mueller. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. But his wife has died in the book. And he thanks the Lord for his wife's death. Now, why, why could we thank the Lord for our wife's death? I could, I could think of a lot of reasons that I could do so. But a lot of people would look at that and say, that's really odd. You know, you're, you're a strange duck. You know, thank the Lord for your wife's death? Not really. Not, a, not, if, not, if, we, not if we believe what we say we, we believe. Not if we believe what we preach. That God is sovereign in all things. That He's too right of a God to do anything wrong. That everything has a purpose. That everything he works according to our good. Not if we believe those things. Not if we look at them as perhaps Paul and Barnabas looked at this. This, this is not a calamity that's happened unto us. 
This is an opportunity. Well, what do you mean, Paul? You've been stoned. You mean this is an opportunity? What's an opportunity for? It's an opportunity to persuade others of the truth. It's an opportunity to encourage my brethren. Hey, look, brethren. God's grace is sufficient. One may ask, why did God allow Paul to be stoned? Look at what he says in verse 22. As they visited those who had received the gospel, he says unto them, here's that object lesson again, brethren, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Can you see him standing there, black and blue? bruised and broken, preaching Christ to them and encouraging them in the faith. You'd look at him and think, this is the brother that needs to be encouraged. And look what's happened to him. Look what's befallen him. But no, he's the one encouraging others. Would God allow something like this to happen to one of his children? Would you allow something like that to happen to one of your children if you could keep it from happening? We probably wouldn't. We'd probably keep somebody, one of our kids from being stoned if we could. You know, the Old Testament, if, the, if a child, you know, was to sass his parents, talk back to him, you know, he, he could be stoned. Probably a lot of parents that said, oh. if I could keep my kids from being stoned, I probably would too. But God loves more than we do. Paul was a living demonstration of faith unto the people. How many times have your hearts been encouraged by tribulation that somebody else has gone through? How many times has your faith been increased? How many times have you said, Wow, what grace and mercy that God gives. I've been encouraged by things other people have gone through. And Lord brought something right at the right time in my life when Teresa was sick. Brother Woodruff's wife had just passed away. And there he was, standing there at camp standing behind the pulpit talking about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Did he love his wife? Would he, would, would he like to have his wife? Not have lost his wife? Sure. But he stood there and talked about how the grace of God was sufficient. And here I was with the prospect of that happening to me. And somebody's encouraging me, telling me the grace of God is sufficient. And here are these people that Paul's standing before that the Inhabitants of the city have stoned him and they live in that city. And Paul says, brethren, grace of God sufficient. We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of heaven. Be encouraged. Builds one another up. It increases our faith. It causes us to grow in grace. Not only being in the trial or being a witness to it. Being beside someone who's going through it. Praying for them and seeing God's grace working in their life. Seeing them press on, even under the great pressure that they're still pressing on, even under tremendous amounts of pressure, they still believe, they still trust, they still hope. They haven't given up, they haven't said, enough of this, I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore, this is too difficult. No, we don't hear that. But rather it causes us to press forward, to even, as we said this morning, Take the kingdom of heaven by force. To press in. To press on. Yep, Paul was stoned and then went right back into the city that stoned him. Not only once, but twice. He went in there the one day 
we read, and then he goes on to Derby and some of the other places, but then he comes back through. What would bring you back to a place that has stoned you? It was those saints. It was those people that were there. He wanted to revisit them. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted them to be built up. It says that elders were established over the churches there. There was work yet to be done. You know what? All of us are sitting here this morning. There's work yet to be done. There's more pressure. There's more burdens. There's more loads to be moved. More impediments and stones that are in our way that need to be gotten out of the way. More things that we need to continue to pray about and pray through about. Press on with. We can't give up. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. We can't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to press on. Even in the midst of these things, even in these trials and tribulations, like Paul says, we must through much tribulation. Tribulation is not going to deter us. We need to be encouraged. We need to be built up. The Lord knows what we need. He knows when we need it. He's already set beforehand the things that we're going to walk through, the things that we're going to face. He's already made provision for those things. The needs that we may have in those trials and tribulations, He's already made provisions. We haven't even called out unto Him. We haven't even asked for those things yet, but they're already set aside. They're already there. He's even answered before we even ask. And He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So this morning, brethren, I encourage you, press on. Press on. Look, look at what Paul went through here. Press on. Continue. No time to give up. There's no time to sit down and take a break and relax either. We need to press on. We need to keep on. Keep on keeping on. We need to continue to witness. Continue to testify. Continue to speak. Continue to live before people the way that we have been called to. to live our lives as a living sacrifice. That we're continually laying down ourselves every day for other people. That they might see Christ as we see Him. That they might know the Lord. Not because of us, but because God would open their eyes. They might be able to see. And open their ears. They might be able to hear. And open their hearts and minds. They might be able to perceive and understand. If they're still living and breathing, there's hope. There's still, there's yet hope. We get discouraged at times. I know we do. We pray for people. We talk to people. And just we just don't seem to get anywhere with them. We see some encouraging signs for a while. And they seem to be walking with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, wow, we see this humongous setback. And we think all is in vain. All is lost. And you know, all that I said to them, it just didn't make any difference at all. But we just don't know. We can't see men's hearts. We don't know what's going through their minds. We only see the external. 